You see, the thing about worship is that we do it all day, every day, uh, at all stages of life, in all areas of our life. You see, we see it at football games. We see it at concerts, right? Guy scores a touchdown. We lose our voices screaming so loud, right? See, and so what I want to look at in the time we have here this morning are a couple things. And the first is, so, so in, in, to, to sort of frame the whole day, here's, here's what we're going to be looking at. So what's different? What, what does it mean to actually worship God? So what's acceptable worship to him? And I want you to understand that in the Bible, worship was always and still is a very big deal in God's eyes. I don't know if you know this, starting in Exodus chapter uh, 20, God lays out the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel, and he go, c- continues from there, and over, it takes him, uh, as, as, it takes him seven chapters, 243 verses, it takes him to lay out, first of all, the building of the temple where the Israelites would come to worship, the order of how worship would take place, and, and, and even down to the, the, uh, order of how people could come closer to the holiness of God. Now, what we find out uh, in Numbers chapter 1, that if you want to be a soldier, you had to be 20 years old to be an Israelite soldier, 20 years old. And then we find in uh, Numbers chapter 8, if you want to be a Levite, which is a holy guy, you had to be 25 years old. And we find out in Numbers chapter 4 that if you want to be a priest, which is the holiest, the people who usher people into worship, they get close to the holiness, you had to be 30 years old. Because, see, there was a specific order and a sense of necessary maturity that had to happen in order for you to be leading people in worship. And it was a very serious thing. It still is to God. Now, we don't have age restrictions here in leading worship and stuff, but we take it very seriously in terms of our spiritual maturity for people that we allow to lead worship here. It's a big deal. Which begs this question. Why is it so important to God? You know, first... What I want to say to you is this, that worship is, is, is our natural response to that which has captured our hearts. Now, you see it, just those girls' hearts were captured, weren't they? And they were physically responding that's what happens. That's what worship does. It's reflected in all areas of our life. It's reflected in, in what we give our time to. It's also reflected when you look at your bank statement, you will see what you worship because your money goes there. Praise, we, I said last week, praise is connecting your emotions and your affections to the object of your worship. So you connect your, your inner being to what you're worshiping and worship is what comes out as a result and what we do with ourselves. What I want to talk about in the time we have remaining this morning is the three things. I think that there are three key pivotal things that are acceptable worship to God. These three things need to be happening in our lives as we worship God. And I'm just going to tell you what they are, and then I'm going to come back and move through them. And you also need to know we're going to be doing things a little bit differently this morning. We're going to break up our worship time because I want to help us understand why we're singing and what we're singing and what the point is, okay? So we're going to do stuff a little bit differently, and I'm really, really excited about how we're going to do this. But the three things, I want you to write these down. The three things are pretty simple. The first is this. In order for you to be worshiping God, you need to, I will turn to you. That's the first thing. I will turn to you. The second thing is this. I will return to you. And the third is this. I will surrender. Turn, return, surrender. Those are the three things.
Look at me with, uh, if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles, pull them out. Look at them on your phones or you can look up the screens too. But look in uh, Psalm uh, chapter 95, verses 6 and 7, it says this. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Psalm 134 says this, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. When I talk about, here's, let me just define this a little better. When I say step one is to turn to God, what I mean is this. You need to fully engage with God. As you read these verses, and I could go through, I could read verses all day long just like these two. I, I mean, I, I, there's just, there's, Almost no end to how often this uh, type of verse is found in the Bible. And what we realize is, is first of all, who who do they turn to? God. You see, what happens in our life is so much of life comes at us and tries to draw our worship and our attention in in, in that direction. And we turn to so many things to solve our problems. We give our worship away to so many things. And the first thing that needs to happen in worshiping God is that we need to turn to him and recognize that he is what we need to be worshiping. That's the first thing. And it says in here, look, it says, I kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is our God, chapter 95. And then in Psalm 134, four times in two verses, the Lord, the servants of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the sanctuary of the Lord. Oh, he, what is the Lord? The Lord is someone you serve, someone you worship. So the first thing is you need to understand when, I, when I'm talking about I will turn to you, what I'm talking about is fully engaging because the second part is this. As you look at those verses, not only do we turn and acknowledge him, there is an actual physical engagement that happens. Look in both these verses. First, uh, chapter 95, I will bow down. I will kneel. Psalm 134, I will lift my hands. See, fully engaging with God and turning to God is not just mouth and lip service or attitude, it is full physical bodily engagement. You know, we sang the, the opening song. If you, were, if you were here, the opening song, Waiting Here for You with Hands Lifted High. We sing so many songs that talk about that. We raise our hands in worship to Him. And I don't even know if you know this, but there is an actual progression of hand lifting that shows our spiritual maturity. And if you'll just look at this, you can see at the top is for the beginner, the rookie. It's kind of the elbow flap, right? And then the carry the TV, you get a little bit more daring, and then you kind of turn the hands out. My fish was this big. I'm getting a little bit better because see my hands are coming up. The ultimate goal of worship before God is to be like the village people, right? <laughs> Put your hands out like this. In all seriousness, when I started thinking about the idea that our bodies need to physically, physically engage and we need to raise our hands, this, this was the thought that I, mean, I need to look at God's word and find the theology behind why we raise our hands. There's got to be a clear theology. And so I did. I, and I, I looked and I read through uh, so much of the Bible and I found this. There is no theology. No one theology. See, raising hands in the scripture has multiple applications. And if you want to check my math on this, I'm just going to list a few and there are more. And I'll give you just, just off the top of my head. Here it is. First, it, ble- it praises God, Psalm 63, 4. It blesses and honors God, 1 Kings 8, 22. It's a sign our physical, of our physical engagement in the moment. 
in Psalm 143, verse 6. It represents offering our hearts as, in quotes, we lift our hearts with our hands from Leviticus 3.41. It's a sign of needing help. Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2. And it represents us offering something to God that we find in Proverbs 121. You ever see this, you know? I need help. I'm offering something to you. What you do with your hands physically demonstrates what's going on inside of your heart. See, worshiping God is not just using our voices. It's physical experience. Singing allows us to connect our emotions to our spirit. See, physical engagement connects the rest of our being to our experience. And we're going to have the band come on back up here, and as we kind of transition here, we're going to get an opportunity to dive into actually singing some worship songs. And the point, what we're trying to do here is develop an understanding. So often it's very easy for us to just engage in singing songs and repeating words that lack meaning. And what I want to do this morning is this. As we enter into times of worship, we're going to break it up a little bit. I want you to connect your heart and your thoughts to the words that you're singing about this creator. And don't worry about what your body, how your body reacts as much. Because I'll tell you my story really quickly. It goes like this. The same is very similar to Patrick's. I was at Kensington Church. They do their worship on Wednesday night. And uh, as I was, I was uh, there one night and I started, they were, they were doing some worship and I, uh, I had this sense like, man, I just really, really am feeling the Spirit of God moving inside of me. And I asked many of you, you guys have felt that, and the next thing I'm like, wow, I should raise my hand. What the very next thing to follow was? What's my wife going to think? And what's the guy behind me going to think? And, oh man, it's going to be distracting. Could it be distracting? And, And I just went down this whole list of things, reasons to or not to raise my hands. And what, you know what happened in that moment? Who was I thinking about in my worship? In the end, who was I worshiping? See, and this is the point. That, hear me clearly on this. When you are worshiping God, you know what you should be thinking about yourself and other people. I, this is very important. This is, what you should be thinking about yourself and other people is this. Nothing. Your mind should be focused on God, not worried about what anyone else thinks about what you're doing in that moment. I'm going to ask if you guys would just stand with me this morning for a minute. We're going to enter into a time of actually worshiping him. And again, during this time, I want us to really focus in on this moment, not being about us, not being about anything we're doing, but being about what God wants to do in our hearts at this moment. And I want you to sing with me. again and take my heart I 
something here. It may feel a little bit weird, but it's so valuable when we engage our body with what our heart is trying to sing. Sometimes what words can't say, our actions can. I want everyone to close your eyes for a minute. Forget about the person next to you. Forget about what they're thinking. Just close your eyes. And whether it's you're surrendering to God, like we said, or offering something, needing something from Him, whatever your reason. I just want you to do this. Just raise your hands in the air. Just raise them up. Let go and just go, God, I'm going to worship you. Let's sing this. It's just you and me here now. It's only you and me here now. It's just you and me It's only you and me here now. It's just you and me here now. It's only you and me here now. Now. It's just you and me here now. It's only you and me here now. 
and I will worship you, Lord, only you, Lord, and I will bow down before you. Just you and me here now. It's only you and me here now. And I, I just want to help us this morning understand what, what it is, what it is to fully worship God. And here's what, I, the first thing is we need to turn to him, and that means fully engaging every part of us, not holding parts back. The second thing that's essential is returning to him. Psalm 81.9 says this, you shall have no foreign gods among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. There's a story of a guy in the Bible. I'm sure you, if you've been around church for any time, you're aware of this guy. His name's Solomon. He was the wisest man to ever live, the wealthiest man to ever live, the luckiest man to ever live. And I say that in a sexual sense. He had 700 wives and 400 concubines. And he, he had it all. He actually, this guy built the temple that the Israelites were to worship in. Third king of Israel. And I want to read... I'm going to read his story, and then I'm going to come back to some things. The first thing is this. In 1 Kings 8, chapter 22 and 23, it says this. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands toward heaven, and he prayed, Oh, God of Israel, there is no one like you in all heaven above or on earth below. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you. Encircle this word, wholehearted devotion. See, what has just happened is Solomon is the king. God did not allow David to build the tabernacle, and he commissioned that to Solomon. And Solomon is actually now commissioning this temple for worship before the people of Israel. And he is loving God with all his heart, serving him with all his soul, and calling the people of Israel to do the same. Chapter 8. Chapter 11. Verses 1 through 8. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Eden, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God. As his father David had been, Solomon worshipped 
Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord, circle this word, completely, as his father, David, had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built pagan shrines for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab, and for another from Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Wisest man to ever walk the earth, but neither wholehearted or completely followed God. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story for this reason. See, ultimately it wasn't the fact, it wasn't that Solomon didn't love God. It said God was his God. It wasn't even that he didn't love God the most. The problem with Solomon was that he did not love God only. He had other gods. And in the end, what happened as a result of his failure to completely dedicate his life to God and allow his heart to be drawn to other gods, he died a disillusioned, saddened man, as it said there in that passage we just read. And the kingdom is ripped from him and from his dynasty, and there's dissension in the kingdom ever since as a result of his failure to completely dedicate his life to following God. See, we're going to have another opportunity here to sing another song. And, and, and the reason we're going to do this, number one, I want to give us a chance, again, to physically engage our bodies. And I'm not going to have you stand up or so you do whatever you need to do in this next moment here, this next song that we sing. But sometimes what we need to do is not only confess that he is our God, our only God, as we sing, but we also need to confess, you know what, God? It's actually not even true. I actually have a lot of other gods that I'm worshiping, and I don't know what they are for you. You do. You do. And what I want us to do, again, in this next moment, we're going to sing again. And I want you to use this opportunity, if you need to use confession, if you want to stand up, stand up and proclaim boldly. If you want to get on your knees and ask God's forgiveness, this moment has nothing to do with the person next to you. It has to do with you and your relationship to the creator of the universe and the creator of your soul. Sing those verses again. 
You know, Psalm 32 says this, and I just, just in reference to this last moment that we just had, I'm going to read it from you because it says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. 
and whose spirit is of no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as, the, as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So do you understand what happens in those moments when we hide sin away and we fail to confess to God? Our actual inner being, our soul starts to crumble and melt and deteriorate because we turn our back on the God who wants to save us the God who redeemed us and gave us life. So we need to turn to him. We need to return to him. The last thing is this. We need to surrender to him. See, worship is a lot more than music. It's life. Romans 12, uh, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. It's a very, very, very familiar verse if you've been around church. I'm sure you've heard this this passage read, and I want to read it to you. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? So I just want to look at this verse for a second because the very first word is therefore, and my dad, he was a pastor, he used to say this. He'd say, Mike, whenever there's a therefore, got to go back and see what the therefore is there for. So I want to look at why does he say therefore? Well, here's why he says therefore. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, based on the previous 11 chapters of Romans, where Paul, the writer of the book, focuses extensively on the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption and the salvation of our souls, 11 chapters outlining the doctrine of our salvation and the calling of God on our lives, 11 chapters, then he says, therefore, based on the mercies of God, the previous 11 chapters, this is what you should do. You should present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. What's a living sacrifice? Well, in the Old Testament, they would take lambs and goats and things like that, and they would, they would actually take them on an altar and kill them and sacrifice them for atonement for sin and many other things. They actually killed them. Well, that's not what he's not saying, go kill yourself for God. At all. He, that's why he says, you need to be a living sacrifice. And what is a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice, real simple, is someone who lives for God. Right? That's what a living sacrifice means. The only thing that's going to die about me is everything I want in comparison to what God is asking me to do. A living and what kind of sacrifice? Holy. What is holy? It means set apart, set for the purpose, completely sin, sinless and pure. I want to Strive to live a pure life following God. That's what he says is acceptable to God. And when I do that, that is my spiritual service of worship. Nothing about music in here. See, this, when we live like this, this produces worship. See, music is so much, or sorry, worship is so much more than music. You need to understand this. Music will never produce worship. Do you know that? Music will never produce worship. Worship can produce music. Because worship is what our reaction 
our response to what has captured our heart, which can make us sing. And I just want to be really honest with you guys. I want you to know I love you and care about you so deeply, but you need to understand something. If you live the rest of your life like who knows what, pursuing who knows what, doing who knows what during the week, and you come here on Sunday morning, and you expect to have a very intimate, worshipful moment that God sees as pleasing to him, you're wrong. It's not going to happen. It's just, worship is about our life. An opportunity to sing that happens on Sunday. That's what worship is. What do you, during the week, let me ask you something. What do you, what do you look at during the week? You know what, let's forget about porn. We already know that's wrong, right? Let's forget porn. I'm not talking about that. There are so many other things in our life that compete for our worship and our heart. Right? We run down paths of things that we think are going to fill our needs. What do we watch on TV that, that conflicts with what God calls us to do and how he calls us to live? Are you being holy in the things you're pursuing and the thoughts you're having, the conversations you're having? Even the TV shows you're watching, for that matter. See, you can't live like anything and come and expect God to be pleased with your act of worship. Worship is the overflowing of what has captured our heart. And if God has captured our heart, that's how we should be living. I'm going to look at one last verse and then we'll move into one more time of worship. This is Dave Nelson's, one of his favorite verses. It's John 14, 31. It says this, But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded. See, that, it, right there, I do exactly what the Father has commanded. That is a living sacrifice. That is me living for God, knowing what he's called me to do, and me pursuing that rather than the stuff. Quite frankly, I would rather do a lot of things that I'd like to do. But it's not good for my soul. And I can't offer worship to God if I live that way. So what we're going to do as we close out this morning, we need another opportunity to sing. We're gonna, I'm going to ask the greeters to come forward here and we're going to take an offering. I just want to share this with you guys too. Here is another opportunity in this very moment as we take our offering. You know, we said worship is what, ca- what, what the outcome of what captures your heart or what your, your physical response is to what has captured your heart. And I'm just going to tell you, if you came prepared to give today, you can give in the bags, you can give uh, on your phone, or you can give online. But, but listen, if, you are, if, you, none of you, if your money is not going to God, and don't forget K2 for just a second, if, your money, if none of your money, if your checkbook, your bank statements don't reflect God in your giving, you do not worship him. You don't worship him. I'm just being frank with you, okay? You need to understand that. We're going to take this, and I'm not trying to pressure you into anything because you need to do what you think you should do before God, but I want to challenge you today to understand the things that you worship, that's where you're going with all your time. And we're going to, again, full surrender to God is what we're hoping for. So pray with me, if you would, as we take this offering. Jesus, you are the lover of our hearts and souls. You're our Savior. You're our King. 
We call you Lord and we desire that to be true of our lives. You're holy. You're pure. You're kind to us. Gracious to us. Thank you for that. We pray now that we could get to a place of surrendering our souls, our hearts, our desires to you. We could fully devote our lives to following you, serving you. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen.